Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to the show. I am Jennifer White here with Ellen Trackman. Say hi. Hi. Hi, <laughs> say hi. Uh, uh, go fast. Do it faster. Uh-uh. Uh, um, we are our podcast about all things assisted reproductive technology. We really love to get to talk to guests from every part of what we see and do and what touches everybody throughout this process. Um, but before we get to talking, uh, Ellen, do you have any special skills that we should be aware of? Oh, I am multi-talented. So many special skills. Where to even start? Um, I'm really good at flipping pens. You know, like that really annoying thing where you have a pen and you like flip it in circles over your thumb and other fingers. Yep, can do that really well. I have aspired to be like you. (laughs) Thanks to high school debate and throwing like a thousand pens across the room in class to learn. Um, What else? Oh, do you know that card game Spoons where you like Mm -hmm. pass things around? I'm really good at that. Um, I feel like I have a lot of talents that don't always, you know, translate to the real world for being helpful. I feel like I have Mm. a lot of them. How about you? Any, I mean, annoying my children. Like I like to tell bad jokes and they just like, Oh, I was like, I thought you were saying I annoy your children. (laughs) Oh, no, no. Sorry. Sorry. I was just thinking more about my amazing skills, like annoying my kid, annoying my own children. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I don't know if anything is a skill. Sometimes I pull things off that feel like they were magical. And yeah, that's a really good skill. It would be if it was actually a skill because I'm not Mm. always sure how I did it. So it happens. I was going to say, so does that make it a skill or just something I happen to bumble into a lot? Mm. (laughs) I'm not sure which way it goes. The making magic, that's that's pretty impressive. I I will say that our next guest has made some magic of their oh own. Oh my god! And, and so many skills. And so makes magic many for skills. I say so many skills and makes magic for so so many people. Yeah. So I really I feel like absolutely. Yeah. Welcome, Dr. Camille Hammond. We are here uh, with you and your trumpet. Uh, yeah. your and your son's trumpet practice. <laughs> this episode will be about your son's trumpet practice. I'm so sorry. We also talk about infertility. Oh, no, 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 no. Yes. It's yes. our lives. This is the way things are for us now. It absolutely is. Well, thank We're you so much really for welcoming excited. me. I appreciate it. Yep. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So, um, you have a couple things, and I, I think a lot of people may have familiarity with you through different means than just by your name. Um, so you are the founder of the Cade Foundation. Is that correct? Co-founder of the Cade Foundation, oh. which is a nonprofit that supports families with infertility. Awesome. So that's, that's what we love to hear. Yay. Yay. But, but I think more interesting to start is what brought you what brought you there <laughs> um you know I, I I know a little bit about your story about reading it but I think a lot of people may not have heard it so do, do you mind starting back at the beginning and kind of telling us about <laughs> your life and your infertility journey yes so I met the love of my life the first week of medical school and after, just like Grey's Anatomy no I just know me. just kind of <laughs> kind of crazy So um, after a whirlwind courtship, um, we got married and decided we were going to start trying to have our uh, build a family immediately only because um, I knew that I had endometriosis, which for anyone who's not familiar is a condition where the 
the tissue that builds up every month that is shed through a woman's menstrual cycle or period um, starts to grow in other places outside of the inside of the uterus. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's super, where it can super painful escape. too. It can be. It is very painful. So did you had, know pretty early on about that? Like when did you find out that you had that? I was diagnosed with endometriosis when I was a freshman in college. Oh, so, oh, wow. and I had a, a severe case of it. So I knew that, um, you know, I, well, I was told that I needed to start trying to get pregnant as soon as I was ready um, to do that. So when we got married, you know, we immediately started trying the old fashioned way. And then after a year of not getting pregnant, um, we started to get fertility treatment. And although I was a physician and my husband is also a physician and we knew a lot about um, the causes of infertility and the treatments of infertility. And um, we had a lot of background, but that didn't mean anything. We still and I assume neither it. of you are fertility physicians. That's not your practice area. Though. No, um, I actually don't work in medicine anymore. I just run the, the nonprofit full time, but I did my training in general preventive medicine and cancer prevention. So oh, wow. um, I was uh, more along the public health spectrum, but um, really focused with cancer survivors and yeah. he's an orthopedic surgeon. Got it. Um, okay. So, you know, again, our background, our education didn't mean that we didn't struggle the same because knowing what causes your infertility doesn't make it any easier to uh, have friends who are getting pregnant and complaining about that. Um, right. Right. You know, I mean, at least when you're going into treatment, you can kind of grasp and understand the treatment options and what's happening a little bit better than the most of us. I don't know. I mean, no. I, sometimes <laughs> I feel like knowing was even harder. I mean, because I, mm. I knew what um, was wrong. And it, in some ways, I knew what could fix it. But that didn't help. It didn't help me because yeah. I never got pregnant. So um, after many years of unsuccessful fertility treatments, you know, we were very fortunate that we had insurance that would um, cover the cost of our treatment up to oh, a wow. degree uh, to a certain point, but I, I still never got pregnant. And after uh, many, many cycles, the doctor suggested that we either consider adoption or fertility treatment, excuse me, or gestational carrier, mm-hmm. um, also known kind of commonly as a surrogate, because even though I was young and healthy, there was no reason to believe that if we continued to spend money that we didn't have and take out loans, that we would have any different result than we had already um, experienced. So was that a surprise or how did, how did you feel when the doctor suggested that? I was heartbroken. Um, I didn't know anybody who admitted that they had infertility and because it was this was I, I love the way you said that. Nobody who admitted. Yeah, that's the, <laughs> that's the easy, right? <laughs> There's that because there are all these people that ultimately ca- came out of the infertility closet to me once they yeah. realized that I also had infertility. Yep. So, um, and, and many of my friends, close family friends that uh, my husband and I interacted with on a routine basis, we're struggling at the same time, but we just never talked about this thing that was at that point, the most important thing to us. Um, and they didn't either. So, um, and also I, I didn't know anyone in my family had struggled to conceive. Now I later found that 
many of the women on my dad's side of the family actually did have a hard time getting pregnant, but um, none of this, I, I didn't know any of this while I was going through um, infertility. So and at this point, are you just dealing with it as a, as a couple or are you guys talking to any, anyone about it? We, we talked to our parents yeah. and um, you know, there were a few people who we selectively shared about it with, but um, mm. you know, then it got weird. Uh, one of our family friends who really, I don't, I don't think that they really knew how to support us. They immediately, as soon as we told them we were struggling with infertility, they decided to start like working on having a family and immediately they got pregnant and they made us the godmother, you know, us godparents, which was kind of like, thanks, but yeah, I don't want your baby. Complicated, rough. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it was really hard um, because you don't want to be the person who makes everybody sad and makes everybody feel uncomfortable when they talk about fertility issues. But at the same time, it was just personally devastating. So um, I personally felt like I just became a lot more secluded and, and just didn't talk Mm -hmm. with people as much or share as much. Um, Didn't go to the baby showers because it was always a kind of a strange feeling that you want to support your colleagues and work co-workers and but then again you know this is something that was very hard for me to experience going to someone else's shower so right and at this time Um, are you going into work are you practicing medicine during this time oh yes I had no choice um we had to work so (laughs) um you know I was going to work doing my regular you know professional, growing professionally, succeeding professionally. Um, I had never actually experienced any significant, what I would consider failure before infertility. And so this was my first um, opportunity to to really get to know lack. Um, and, and I use barrenness, um, not just as like barren of womb, but like wanting something so desperately that I could almost taste it, but not having the ability to get that thing. Um, so, you know, it was very humbling for me as well. I, I do find, I hear, I've heard people who are like, in, who are overachievers. I assume you're an overachiever also, like, like myself, you know, like when you're going through infertility, that's the hardest thing is how can I solve this? Right. It's like you have no way no way to solve the problem. And, and that's hard because it is one of the first times you, you found something you can't do. Right. And so kind of that gets kind of back to what I was saying about, you know, being a physician and understanding it and, and knowing, I guess, in theory, how to solve it, but that not working for me. Like that was, it was heartbreaking and, and infuriating at the same time. So um, when we were ultimately counseled to stop, which I think was you know, incredible for my fertility doctor at the time to say, I really am not going to take any more of your money because this isn't working. Um, you know, at that point we were paying out of pocket, um, and they didn't have to say that. So I, I really do respect and appreciate them, you know, for being honest. Um, 
we went and shared it with my mom and dad and asked, and, and my mom actually, my mom and dad asked if my mom could carry a baby for us because they had seen it on TV Aww. years before. Yeah. I mean, it happens occasionally. It happens occasionally. And um, we politely told my parents, thank you, but we're good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it was sweet to offer. It was very sweet to offer, but my parents are very persistent. And, well, wow. um, <laughs> you know, they just didn't let it go. And so we, we talked a lot about it and we prayed a lot about it. And after a while, we decided to see if it was something that could happen. Um, my mother was postmenopausal, so she had already kind of gone through the change of life at that point. And um, she was in good con- She was healthy, but she was in her mid-50s. And I just didn't know of any women in their mid-50s, A, who had gotten pregnant, or B, who had done it after they had actually gone through menopause. So um, her, her doctor said that, she was healthy and they didn't think it would kill her, but you know, they really, <laughs> but oh. I know that's a huge asterisk. Uh, but my mom and dad were very committed. Um, and they, you know, they basically had faith for us when ours was almost gone. And so, um, we moved forward and my 55 year old postmenopausal mom got pregnant with my triplets. Wow. Who are now 15 wow. years old. Yeah. Wow. So, that is I, I have to ask this question that is so incredible. Like, but how, how many embryos did they transfer when you ended up with triplets? Because I know three. it was a very different time at that. Oh, wow. So, okay. So it was three embryos, three took. Wow. Three embryos and three took. And I, uh, we only put three back because we thought, you know, we had always put three back for me because I didn't produce a lot. Um, three was all we ever got. That was the max that we ever got when we did a a stimulation. So, um, you know, I was thinking if we put three back, maybe we'll get one baby and all right. three of them are alive and uh, teenagers. Playing <laughs> trumpet. And, and, and playing trumpet, some and of them. Playing trumpet. <laughs> yes. oh, that's amazing. That is fantastic. Yay. So how was your mother's pregnancy? How, I, how did that feel going through it from that perspective that it was your mother and, but it was your babies. And I mean, just such a fascinating uh, right. difference than sometimes other surrogacy journeys. Well, I can't imagine a person who would be a better gestational carrier for me. Um, this was my mom. So she, she was protecting know, those grandbabies. Care about yeah. them, love them, very invested. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but my mom is not a person like I, I knew that I didn't have to worry. I know some people may say, well, you know, would that create kind of mixed feelings? Would the kids look at her as the mother or something like that? And that was never an issue. My mom loved me and she wanted to support me. And when the babes were born, you know, she lovingly said, okay, I'll see you in a few months. I'm going to get my my body back. You know, she, <laughs> <laughs> what? she wasn't there to take care of them in the middle of the night. No, not at all. Not at all. She's, uh, she wasn't that Bob. So we saw her, uh, three or four months later, my mother-in-law actually came and stayed with us for a few months and helped us when the kids mm. were first born, which was a huge help because again, we were residents and um, and and you suddenly had triplets. And, and for anyone with triplets. Uh, right. Exactly. Exactly. And, 
you know, they don't give you kind of a, an easier schedule or less hours because you've got new, new babies, you do the same work as everyone else. So we were, you know, zombies, um, many, many days, uh, seeing the kids and giving them a kiss when they, before they woke up, when we had to leave out and then seeing them again at the end of the day when they were ready for bed um, and we were getting back to the house. So uh, it was those first few years were really hectic and really hard. But, um, you know, I'm grateful that we had lots of strong support uh, to help us. And um, I ended up leaving my position working in clinical medicine. Um, after we, so we started this nonprofit, the Cade Foundation, when the kids turned one, because we realized that we had just been so abundantly blessed and fortunate. Um, we had information, we had access to financial resources, um, and we had people who loved us and supported us. And, and those time are- on your hands to start a foundation. No, I'm just right. Kidding, yeah, hard. all your spare time that you just suddenly had. <laughs> you know, when it's important, you find mm. the time. And, and yeah. I, I've always believed that if you know, in life, we either find a way or create an excuse. Um, and so, you know, it whether it was late at night or early in the morning or you know, while the kids were catnapping, um, you know, the, the foundation was created. I filed all the paperwork myself because we were still broke residents and I just didn't have the money to pay a lawyer for anything because we had three new babies that needed to eat. <laughs> so um, um, started the foundation and, and after a few years left my position um, to, um, in, at the hospital to to run the foundation full time. And I started running it from home um, because again, you know, we were doing it on our own. And um, the goal when we first started was just to raise enough money to give one family $10,000 for fertility treatment or adoption. They could, you know, we just wanted to give one family enough so that they had a good healthy start to be able to fund their family building dreams. And as you all know, fertility treatment, even one cycle of IVF can, you know, be 12, 13,000 just for the, um, the doctor's, um, costs, not, not even including the 5,000 or more for the meds. Um, so we started off with the intention of funding and, and sorry, an adoption can cost, you know, into the tens of thousands of dollars. So, so we wanted to raise 10,000 to help one family. And then I thought, okay, I'll go back to clinical medicine. And, um, that first year we were able to give out three grants and wow. Three times your goal. That's great. Three times the goal. And, um, you know, doors kept opening and opportunities kept kind of being presented. And, and so, um, I, I ultimately left my job working um, in clinical medicine and started to run the foundation full time. And we're at the point right now where we get, we've given away 127 grants to families throughout the country for every imaginable pathway to parenthood and um, have awarded uh, over a million dollars 
to families and, um, you know, there, we've got a staff of three and, uh, not including myself and, um, do this work full time. And I'm so honored to be able to give back to the community that allowed me to be a mom. That is so incredible. Yay. That is amazing. What, what kind of stuff do you guys do to raise funds? I, I can only, you know, in the, in the side of my head go, wow, how do you raise money for that besides just somebody who went through it and wants to get back? But there have to be more than that. So what things do you do to, to bring in funds? So we've got, so first of all, our grants are available online 24-7. If you go to cadefoundation.org, C-A-D as in David, E, foundation.org, and we fund family building for anyone that has infertility um, and more information you know, about the deadlines and such can be found online. Um, we do Just have a- approximately, is it like twice a year deadlines or how do, how yes. do your deadlines work? Okay. So the deadlines are February 1st and July 1st. So you can submit your application anytime you want, but all the grants received prior to February 1st are downloaded and sent out for evaluation February 1st. And then we do the same thing on July 1st. So if you, if you apply July 2nd, that grant application won't be um, reviewed and considered until the next cycle, which is February 1st of the next year. And are um, they considered pretty quickly? How, how soon are decisions no. made? No. Unfortunately, it <laughs> no, takes a long time because we've yeah. got several committees that review different parts of the application. So I did some of my training. I did my fellowship at the National um, Institutes of Health. And I learned about grant review in that, in that fellowship. And so I applied that the model that I learned while I was in training to the Cade grant and that um, with NIH, there's all this kind of overlapping reviews to decrease the likelihood of bias significantly Mm. impacting an application. So as an example, you may hate the color green and I love the color green. And if someone's (laughs) application says, starts out with green is the best color, you, before reading anything else about them, may say, these guys are winners. I'm going to support them. And I read the same application. And with that same starting sentence, first sentence say, these people you know, they, I I don't know, something must be wrong with them. They're not, they're not going to (laughs) be deserving because they're green lovers. And so, you know, while you may give them a score that's higher than other people, I would give them a score that's lower. So we would kind of cancel each other out. Um, And so we have a medical portion of the application, a financial portion, and then the heart of the application, which includes things like personal statements. And so we have primary and secondary reviewers for most of the sections so that, um, again, bias doesn't impact the, um, the, the final score. And then we find based on score. Now, it's impossible to eliminate bias, but we try and minimize it by doing that. So we've got about 30 people who are involved on the different committees and um, each committee gets several weeks to do their work. Um, so it, it takes about three months for us to completely 
review. Um, who knew that medical school would train people to run nonprofits? <laughs> you know what? I actually right? got a master's in public health at Johns Hopkins. Oh, okay. Um, All right. <laughs> so I learned a little bit there, but a lot of a lot of my nonprofit training came from just doing it and making lots of mistakes and having people who were kind to me and and you know kind of helped lovingly guide me to say, mm, I wouldn't say it like that. Let's let's redo this and let's do it like this this time. <laughs> Uh, or just getting my feelings hurt and having to redo it uh, either way. But that's how <laughs> Do I learn. applicants come from everywhere across the country or where? Who do you have to be to be an applicant aside from any kind of infertility? That's it. That's it. Any, anywhere in the country. Anywhere in the country. And we have funded people from uh, California to Texas to uh, Florida to uh, Wyoming. I mean, we, we funded families from all over the country, all backgrounds, all walks of life. And the one thing that they all had in common was they had infertility. Um, so, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of what I do now to get back to your earlier question, how do we raise money for that? There are some people that just have a heart for what we do. They have benefited from fertility treatment and, or adoption and decided I want to give back and I'm going to give this money to Cade so that you all can, can give someone a grant. Um, but we do have a lot of events and those are another way that we, um, generate a lot of, um, excitement and, um, revenue for the grants. So we've got a couple of events. Um, if you don't mind, if I share a little bit about them. I do not mind at all, by all means. Okay, great. So um, first is on August the 29th. We've got, and, and this may have passed by the time this episode airs, but we've got a yeah. Sip and Paint, Corks with Cade, a Sip and Paint event. And where is that located? Since everybody may not be familiar where you're physically located. Excuse me. Yeah, so we're, I'm, I'm based out of Maryland, mm-hmm. but all of our events this year are virtual. So, ah, oh, so people can join anyway. Okay. Anyone can join from anywhere. And um, we already have people. So this, the, the sip and paint on August the 29th is usually in Maryland. And we've had people from California who join that event. Um, and how does, that, how does that work? Do they send you supplies or do you use your own? <laughs> nope, we're sending supplies. Okay. We're sending oh, out art supplies. We'll ha- we're having a quote-unquote celebrity art instructor Oh, who is nice. going to help people guide people through painting um, a, a painting. And um, with some tickets, you can bring your own wine and other tickets, you get a gift card to a local vineyard, well, a Maryland based vineyard um, so that you can go pick up your wine there. But either way you, you get all of your art supplies shipped to you. Um, can you tell us who the celebrity is? It's, um, I think his name is Illust Artist. So it's, it's not um, a celebrity as in like social media celebrity. It's just someone mm-hmm. who is well known in the, the art world. Got it. Um, I don't know what his, um, his real name is, but um, so we have that. And then on uh, September the 12th, we have our California Corks with Kate, which is usually in um, Livermore, California. Uh, hosted by the Reproductive Sciences Center of the San Francisco Bay Area. Of course, this year it's virtual. So we will have a a celebrity chef 
and that's going to be a sip and chef. So we will have a celebrity chef who uh, walks all guests through preparing the perfect pairings for the wines that we've selected. Um, and we're going to be shipping out wine to everyone. And we're, oh, wow. we're also shipping groceries so that, you know, you can make the foods. Um, but some tickets, you can just buy the groceries on your own. Um, and so, you know, we'll be doing that. Um, let's see. We are also going to be doing a race for the family. And that is going to be on October the 10th. And that's hosted by Shady Grove Fertility. And we will ship out your race shirt, your race medal. Uh, we've even got onesies for the little people. And um, everyone, wherever they are, um, can walk the 5K or one mile, depending on their preference. They can walk it, bike it, jog it, pogo stick it, whatever you want to do. Just, <laughs> Just do it. Just move with us in solidarity um, because this is an event where we really just want to show the world that, first of all, infertility is real and that there are many one in eight families struggle with infertility. But we want to show families that there is hope and that there is kind of a future beyond the struggle. So um, that's on October the 10th. um, And the website for that is raceforthefamily.com. So we've got a number of events and we've got um, fantastic organizations that partner with us to be able to continue to provide uh, these opportunities for families um, on the pathway to parenthood. That's incredible. Do, do y'all track statistics on how many babies you've successfully helped come, come to the world? Yes. Um, so at this point, we have 127 families that we funded, and we have 93 uh, Cade babies. Oh, I love it. Yay. 93 Cade babies and a number of ongoing pregnancies. Um, but the truth is, just like you know, outside of the foundation, all of our families don't conceive. And some of them, unfortunately, do give up because infertility is hard. I wish I could say you know, that weren't the case. Most of our families do ultimately bring a child home if they don't give up. And um, when when you are given a, an award for Cade, it's not just the money. You are matched with a mentor family who is geographically near you or who has gone through uh, something similar to what you experienced. And we have a ton of support. We have private Facebook groups um, for our families. We have family reunions and family retreats. And that's really just so that all of our families um, can be reminded that they're not alone and that, uh, you know, we're here to walk with them. And and I am just so proud of the Cade Foundation community. They do an amazing job providing love and support um, for one another. And you don't have to be a recipient to be part of that, that community or that family. Well, unfortunately, in order to get the mentorship and all that, you do. Okay. But the, the events are open to anyone. And we yeah. have a very social, active social media presence. There are some people who, um, you know, routinely post and, and engage with, with us on social media. And that's always fun and wonderful to see. Um, but the kind of in-depth, um, you know, 
wrapping the the, the full body wrap uh, comes with the grant. It's just it's just hard to provide that level of support to um, the larger community, but we have a lot of great partners who really focus on providing support. And so for those who need more than what we're able to offer, um, we routinely recommend other organizations that are either national and virtual or that are in the communities that those groups are based. Awesome. So a lot, sounds like a lot of resources to really direct people to no matter where they are in the phase or even if they are able to receive your grant. So that's, that's incredible. Absolutely. But we, we do things with the larger community. Um, like recently we started a fertility book club and um, we read this book, Stay With Me by Ayobami Adebayo. I'm sure I pronounced her name wrong, but it's a fantastic book. Just it's a fantastic book, period. But it also happens to have a fertility theme, a strong fertility theme, an infertility theme that runs throughout the book. And, um, you know, we had women that plugged in from throughout the world to participate in that book club um, throughout the country, certainly. But when, when, you know, when we asked some of the women to introduce themselves, one woman was from Nigeria, one was from Sierra Leone. Oh, wow. Um, That's amazing. It was really awesome to experience. So we still do things that are more community focused. Um, it's just the, the mentoring um, that happens with the, the grant recipients. Do you sure. know what Has, your next book is for your book club? <laughs> you know, um, because I am a kind of a let's talk about it together and let's as a group decide mm-hmm. as opposed to me picking the book. Yeah. I sent the information out to those that attended the last book club and I actually need to go back and look and see what their decision was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'd be happy to tag you when we make the decision um, because if you have folks that follow you that want to participate. Yes. I, I think great. I might want to participate. Yeah, so. I'd love to get it out there. I think oh, a lot of people would be very great. interested. That's great. It's free. All you do is log in and the only reason why we do it log in instead of online is so, you know, if people don't necessarily want to share kind of their personal experiences if, as they relate right. to something that happened in the book, they don't want to share that on Facebook. Sure. It, you know, it's a, it's a smaller setting, a little bit more intimate setting. I love it. I love it. How has, I know, obviously you mentioned a couple of things went virtual, but how is COVID since that's on top of everybody's brain and not going anywhere for a while, how has that impacted you and your operations and, and things surrounding the foundation? COVID has been hard. Um, and I know that just like everyone else, initially I came home, you know, I moved my, uh, or I took a lot of the things from my office to my home and was thinking, okay, I'll just kind of sit it out until things get back to normal. But when it, when I realized things may not ever get back to normal, you know, there may be a new normal, but we may not get back to uh, December 31st, 2019. Um, I, you know, I just said, we're, we're going to have to create new ways of engaging and communicating. And so all of our events went virtual for the year. Uh, we stepped up the amount of online programming that we had. And 
I think we've made a really beautiful transition. And if we get to the point where we're able to do things in the future in person, of course, you know, that's ideal, but uh, we're still meeting the need because infertility didn't stop just because of COVID. It's still here and people are still hurting. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But and we're glad that you're out there. to some yeah. people that, that now they can yeah. participate from Sierra Leone, right? You, I don't know if you would have done it online necessarily before this. Yeah, I didn't even know there were people from Sierra Leone that knew about the Kids Foundation. <laughs> <laughs> so the, uh, because that's not our, our focus is domestic, but I'm grateful to have input from anyone. And I love seeing the faces and hearing the names and hearing the stories um, from people from all over. Um, and, and I'm happy to be able to serve and support the community. Yeah. We're happy that you are out there too. So we definitely, we encourage people to, to reach out to you and, uh, we'll post links to all of your things yeah. so that people can Is, find you. For, and For listeners who are wanting to support such a great foundation. Um, I know there's all these events. Is there anything else they should know about great ways to, of course, donate money or anything else they can do to get the, the word out there about you guys? It, everything is available at cadefoundation.org. You can learn about our programs. You can uh, plug in with us. We have every other week, we have a Coffee with Cade segment, which is where, when we bring on an expert to talk about an issue in fertility. Um, and our next segment next week uh, is going to be looking at whether or not to travel abroad for care. <clears throat> Excuse me, there's a growing movement um, in some parts of the fertility community to travel. Well, at least there was before COVID um, because it's a fertility treatment can be cheaper, um, you know, when you, when you travel abroad, but you know, there are benefits. There are also reasons to stay here domestically um, our, our segment after that, our Coffee with Cade uh, two weeks after that, deals with birth parent perspectives. And we're going to have a birth parent, a man who uh, he and his high school girlfriend conceived a child and the child was placed up for adoption. And then he went on to um, marry and have children with his wife. And um, has, you know, at this point, he's reconciled with the, the birth child. Um, and so he was able to talk about that experience. I think that's something that a lot of people are curious about. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we, we do this every few weeks where we talk with people who work in the fertility world and the adoption world about issues that families that are walking this, um, are thinking about. That is incredible. We so appreciate that you have taken the time to tell your story. You're, you're, I know you're not the only one that has used a, a parent to, to carry your children, but it, it's so unique and it's so wonderful to hear you talk about it. So we really appreciate that you were open and that it turned into such an incredible blessing beyond yourself to so, so many people that you took that and, and ran with it and, right. and have done such great things. And I think it is unique. I mean, there are a lot of great foundations and um, grant programs out there, but you really bring um, so much expertise. And it sounds like your system is really like a well-oiled machine. I loved hearing about the the double process to avoid bias. I think that can really make a difference for those who, who are looking where to, to make a difference and to donate to, to an organization that, that helps others. 
Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And um, for any of your listeners, if they you know have questions or uh, want to reach out, we're available online 24-7. Uh, CadeFoundation.org is the website, and you can find us on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter at, at Cade Foundation. That's amazing. The only um, last question I want to ask is, how do you get your children to practice their instruments so regularly? That's very <laughs> oh <laughs> you know, as when they get older, uh, I kind of let them drive the bus. I'm just the passenger or uh, the payer. But um, when they say, hey, I'm, I care about this, I, I tend to let them be the one that makes the decision about what they do with that time. And, and that makes it a lot easier. I'm not the one that's forcing them to do it. Yeah. It was, it was harder when they were younger, but as big kids, no, I, I don't even, when it's time to go to baseball, I don't even, you know, I don't even say anything. They've got to <laughs> be in the car. Otherwise I'm not getting in the car. And <laughs> like, otherwise the bus driver doesn't have to anywhere to go. Right. <laughs> right. Just don't move. So I'm not fussing about anything. Uh, that, that makes it a lot easier. Yeah. See, bonus parenting advice for this episode. Exactly. Yay for bonus parenting tips. <laughs> Absolutely. Always, always. So, oh. well, ladies, it's been really great um, connecting you. with you. I will definitely let you know about that next book club um, because Thank I'd love you. to have you all participate and would love to engage. So, I, yes. I think it's so fun talking with other smart women about uh, interesting books. I just think that's a great way to spend an evening. Absolutely. Or an hour. Exactly. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. Oh, thank you for having me. Have a wonderful afternoon or have a wonderful day. Such a huge, huge thank you to Dr. Hammond. We really appreciate just what I I, I just, I appreciate her talent. Like she's such an incredible human being and so smart. So I really appreciate that she took the time to come on and talk to us. Yeah, definitely. Um, Speaking of talents and skills, I bet a lot of our listeners are really good at writing reviews and clicking on stars to help us out. Okay, you don't even need a talent. You just like click the stars and you say like, you guys are terrible or we'd like to hear this or you're great. I mean, we know influence, but if you- I do love that you are picking up my talent for horrible, horrible segues. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm doing as well. I'm doing my best to be a copycat on that. You're doing great. I love it. (sighs) Okay. But we do really appreciate reviews on iTunes and the ratings. Those mean a lot to us. So um, if anyone is able to do it and wants to send an email, I will like personally tell you how much I appreciate it. And I tell you now how much I appreciate it. Also, you can call and um, leave us a message at 303 997 1903. Again, that's 303-997-1903. I'd like to say that that's Jen's direct number, so you can call in the middle of the night, but I don't think it is. I think it just goes to a voicemail. It, but we definitely check it. just goes it. to a voicemail. I yes. love uh, hearing your messages. I mean, I would totally answer it if it did come to my phone in the middle of the night, though. I you know, me. know that. You definitely know. <laughs> I do answer the phone at all hours, basically. Yes. Giant thanks to our team that we could not do this on our own. Amanda and Tyler, we thank you so much for all you do. And Chris at Worker Bird Studios, we are forever grateful to you and your amazing audio skills. And of course, to our listeners. And our listeners. Most grateful for you for joining us. 